Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, it is especially good to have you with us tonight. We hope that you can come back time and time again. It's wonderful to be in the dry and the convenience uh, of the building and to know that our earth is being replenished about us. Uh, there are some folks that's watching the weather, and, uh, and so if anything must have changed, we would let you know that, and so you can relax, and we'll enjoy a time of study together. If you would be opening your Bibles to Malachi, the third chapter, and we'll complete tonight our study uh, as we have looked at various passages throughout Malachi. As you're turning there, we want to thank Jay Keff for the tremendous job that he did of putting together a workshop that many of us enjoyed this past Saturday, the Calling and Caring Workshop. It was a tremendous uh, blessing to be uh, a part of it and to hear the insights that we were able to gain that day, and we look forward to being able to use those to better serve God. Keep in mind that the Save Reorganization is a wonderful opportunity. If you enjoy greeting folks, if you enjoy visiting folks, this will be a wonderful time for you to get involved in that as it is now being reorganized tonight. Be sure and look for that. Uh, those of you that are working with House to House, we appreciate you doing that. We're thinking about, and we're on a deadline, so you know, you'll have to be a self-starter to pull this one off, all right? Why do you love the Mount Juliet congregation? If you're willing to put that in three or four sentences for our New Year's edition of House to House, Heart to Heart, we may put our back page as what various individuals have to say about that. We would love to have some of you that are newcomers here to put what you love about the congregation. We would like to have some of you that are very known in Mount Juliet over a long period of time uh, to have you to put what you love about the congregation and the time that you've been here. If you're willing to do that, we need for you to email that to us tomorrow, maybe Tuesday at the latest. But we need it tomorrow. How that would be a tremendous blessing. Do keep in mind the family day. That's only a couple weeks away. It also is grandparents' day, the very same day. So we will be remembering grandparents and family in that day. Be sure and invite your grandchildren, invite your grandparents. If you have members of your family uh, that do not attend worship, please be sure and remember to invite them. Now's the time to be giving the invitation. Let's make that day the best day that it can be for the glory of God. Let's reach out to those and make a difference for eternity's sake. Back a few months ago, it was a night that officers were going around Henderson, North Carolina, as they always do, just checking various buildings. One particular building they checked was a church building. They noticed that the door was ajar. And then they noticed that probably someone had entered in in a breaking and entering. So they called for an officer to come over who had a canine, Enzo. They decided to let Enzo find out if anyone would always say, who in the world would steal from a church? That's a good question, isn't it? Who in the world would steal from a church? You know, that's what God wanted the people to think about through his messenger Malachi. Except he would say, who in the world would steal from God? As we begin tonight, I want to ask you, would you break into this church building and steal from it? Would you steal from this church? Would you steal from God? Now probably everyone here says, absolutely, I wouldn't. But you know, I'm not trying to judge an individual. I'm just talking to a large audience, and I'd suggest to you that probably someone here has stolen from God today. Someone has probably stolen from this church today. 
I need to be aware of how serious it is to not play with God, but to be serious in my relationship with God, which would involve my obedience to God. God was trying to get the attention of the folks in Malachi's day, and he spoke very bluntly. And let's read together. We're in Malachi, the third chapter, and let's begin at verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? And here's the answer. In tithes and in offerings. You have cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all of the tithes. Here's the solution to this robbery. Bring all the tithes in the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And that's on page 844 or 845 in your pew Bibles if you want to pick up one and read along and study along tonight together. So he asked, would a man rob God? Well, how in the world did they rob God? They robbed God by not bringing of their tithes and their offerings. Look with me, if you will, to Leviticus. Let's go over to Leviticus, the 27th chapter. And let's notice what was expected from God to the people. In Leviticus, the 27th chapter, we're going to read verse 30, verse 31 and 32. As we read, especially verse 30, I want you to note who owns this offering. This is a very important principle that we need to understand because even though we don't live under the old covenant law of tithing, we see a principle here that is in both covenants, and that is who owns the gift. Verse 30, And all the tithe of the land, whether of seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wants at all to redeem any of his tithes, he shall add one-fifth to it. And concerning the tithe of the herd or the flock or whatever passes under the rod, the tenth one shall be holy to the Lord. Now, let's pause and ask God just a moment. God, who owns that tithe? God says, that's my tithe. Oh, so you're saying you're going to give the people a choice whether or not they're going to keep your tithe or whether or not they're going to give you your tithe. And God says, absolutely right. Now, God, what if someone decides to keep your tithe? He says, they just robbed me. They've just stolen from God. Now, friends, that's a New Testament principle also. Everything God gives us is from God. A portion of what he gives us is his. And it's our choice whether or not we will give it back to him. Look with me, if you will, over to the New Testament. 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter. He speaks about giving in seven, and then he reminds us where all these things came from that we have received. We're in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, the ninth chapter. In 2 Corinthians 9... Notice what he says in verse 7 as he talks about the heart that is involved in this giving. 2 Corinthians 9 and 7. So let each one give as he purposes. In other words, as he plans in his heart. And if we went back to 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, we'd see that that plan needs to be made based upon how we have prospered, how God has prospered us that past week. And so he says, not grudgingly. In other words, we don't give to God grudgingly. We don't give to God of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver. 
And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So where did this come from? What you received this past week, where did it come from? God has made all the gifts, that's what the word grace here means. God has made all the gifts that you received last week, He has made those gifts come to you. Now, we're going to finish this verse in just a moment, but let's interrupt here with what he had to remind the people of in Deuteronomy, the 8th chapter. They were about to go over and possess the land of Canaan. These had been slaves, and then they wandered around the wilderness for 40 years. And during that time, they lived in tents, they wore the same clothing, and they had manna and quail to eat. And now they're going to go over into a land that's going to be big homes. It's going to be an endless feast of food. There's going to be minerals in the ground. There's going to be cattle on the hills. They're going to be rich people, and they're going to have all that they need to have to survive. And God says, be careful, because you're going to receive these blessings, and you're going to forget me. And he says, even at one point, he says, you're going to say that it's by the might of your hand that you have gotten yourself this well. Now, last week you say, I'm the one that brought home the money. No. You worked, and God is the provider of all good gifts. You see, it's God that gives to us. And when God gives to us, He expects His portion to be returned back to him. And so now we end this verse 8. We're in 2 Corinthians 9, chapter and verse 8. And God is able to make all gifts abound to us, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. God says, I'm the one that gives it to you, and I'm going to make sure that I give you enough that you'll be able to turn around and give when the good works arrive, the opportunity arrives to do those things. And so it is, if we go back to Malachi the third chapter and we think, would a man rob God? Absolutely. Yes, people can rob God. God, how can people rob you? When God says, when I give to you and you won't give back my portion, you've stolen from me. You've kept the very thing that I own. Now, if they were going to correct this problem, what were they to do? When we read down in verse 10, the correction was, and this is Malachi 3, the correction was, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. They were to come back and restock the storehouse. The storehouse would have been kept by those of the tribe of Levi. You know, when they divided up for all the tribes to have land and to be able to make provisions for themselves and and survival and and providing and and then their economy. God made a special provision for the tribe of Levi. They were the ones that were to be the religious leaders. They were the ones that would provide the priesthood. They were the ones that would carry out the religious duties. And so those individuals would take and they would live off of the gifts that were given. Now, when you think of that and you think of bringing to the storehouse, that makes an an interesting parallel to the New Testament being the church. In other words, today, how do we give to God? We give to God today through His storehouse on earth, which is the church. Look with me, if you will, in 1 Corinthians, the 16th chapter, and we see that word storing up, and we see how all of this falls in as a parallel to even this in the Old Testament. In 1 Corinthians, the 16th chapter, let's read in verse 1 and 2. He says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, 
As I have given order to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. Now, the church here was working together to collect for famine relief of those that were in the Jerusalem area. Paul makes it very clear. He says, listen, you're going to have about a year to make this collection. I don't want to have to come back through town a year later and go to this house and to this house and to this house and then not only collecting individually, but then to hear people say, oh, I forgot to set something aside. He says, you're going to set this aside every first day of the week and you're going to put it in one storing place. In other words, the church at this point is going to become that storehouse so that when they come through to collect for this famine relief, they'd be able to stop in each congregation, and that collection has been there for the good of the church. Now, if the church is a parallel of what we see back in Malachi 3, we learn something else. Not only if an individual today robs God, but also indirectly an individual robs the church. Would you break into this building tonight and steal something from this congregation of people? But yet not to give as you've been prospered is stealing from the potential of what this church could do. You see, that's the parallel. I hope my saying that tonight doesn't sound harsh from a personal standpoint. I'm simply preaching the text. That's exactly what God is trying to get His people to see in Malachi the third chapter. When you don't take your gift, your tithes, and your offering to the temple, he says, you're actually stealing from me. And that same principle is even the same today. Well, what is it that would hinder, be hindered if someone stole today from this congregation? Let's go over to Philippians, the fourth chapter, and let's be reminded of a tremendous work that had taken place that the church, the church had been able to help with this work because individuals had been givers. Perhaps one of the greatest missionaries, if not the greatest missionary that's ever walked this earth, would be the Apostle Paul. Have you ever thought that one of the reasons that he was such a great success because he had generous churches supporting his ministry? Let's begin reading in the fourth chapter of Philippians, verse 16, 17, and 18. He would say, for even, now of course he's talking to the church at Philippi, and if you want to be reminded that it was the church that he was talking to, you could read the first verse of this book, Philippians, the first chapter, first verse, and he's speaking to the saints there, all the saints there, even the bishops and the deacons. So he's writing this to the church, and he says to the church about their support in verse 16, the fourth chapter, for even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessity. So he's thinking back about how much this congregation has helped him. He says, in Thessalonica you sent financial support to me twice. Now let's read on in 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Paul's saying, listen, I'm not wanting to just have your money, but as you're supporting me, I'm able to continue the work of the Lord and souls are being converted and therefore you get the account. You get this to your account that those souls have been converted. Now notice what he says in 18. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full. Having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you. See, they've sent a gift again to him. A sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, 
well-pleasing to God. What do we see in the New Covenant that the church was doing with the gifts that were given? We see famine relief being given. Here in this passage, we see missionaries being supported. Let's go to the next slide and, and notice a few other things that we will not take the time to look at each one individually. But notice also as we look recently in 1 Timothy, the fifth chapter, widows can be supported. That is, if there's money in the treasury, widows can be supported by the church. Also, orphans can be supported. Also, in 1 Corinthians, tells the right to support preachers. I kind of like that idea. Also, we've already mentioned the famine relief there. But the point is this. A church can only do as much as they have the resources to do. And each individual determines those resources. If everyone in this church gave the percentage of their income that you gave, would we have to shrink our work in the kingdom? Or would we increase our work in the kingdom? I've roughed out what I would guess to be a very conservative household income in this congregation. And with about 300 families, a 10% gift would be close to 30000 a week. What if everyone gave the way you gave? What if everyone gave generously, which may be the way you give? Think of the expanded works. Think of the missionaries that could be supported. Think of the good that could be done for the glory of God. There's a lot of work to do in the kingdom. And no one except those in the kingdom will do that work. And God asks the question to his people. Are you going to rob me? Are you going to steal from me? Let's make sure that we answer God tonight with a very loud and clear, absolutely not, God. I know you've given your portion to me to make the choice as to whether or not I'll give it back to you. And absolutely, God, I'm not a thief. I'd never keep what doesn't belong to me. But you know, not only when we steal from God, do we also steal from the local church, but we also really steal from ourselves. Let's go back to our text again in Malachi the third chapter. Look what he says again in Malachi the third chapter. We've read verse 10. You know, he started out in verse 8 asking, will a man rob God? And then we've seen that the, the solution to that is to bring the tithes into the storehouse, which a parallel to that would be the church in the new covenant. But notice the answer to this. He, he, he gives them a challenge. He says, just test me on this. And he says in the middle of verse 10, try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open, now notice this, open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room to store it. When we don't give to God as we should, we also hinder the local work that could be, but we also rob ourselves of future blessings. 
God clearly teaches us that He will give to us based upon how we have given to Him. And if we have given generously to God, God says, I can open the windows of heaven and I can give generously back to you. But He also promises us in 2 Corinthians the ninth chapter, and verse 6, He promises us that if we give in a stingy fashion to Him, He promises, I'll give back to you in that same way. Now, look with me, if you will, 2 Corinthians, the 8th chapter, and, and we're going to scan a couple of verses as we close here, a few of these verses. What do we rob ourselves of? In 2 Corinthians, the 8th chapter, in 7 and 8, we find out that we really rob ourselves of love. Notice as he says in 7 and 8, and by the way, 2 Corinthians, the 8th and 9th chapter, is beautiful passages about giving, teaches us great principles about giving. And so here's one of the principles that he teaches about giving. Verse 7 and 8. But as you abound in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all diligence and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace. He's talking about giving here. See that you abound in this giving also. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of your grace. And in the very next verses he would say, look how much Jesus loved us. He loved us enough that he gave himself for us. And so you see where the passage is going there. And so what he's saying is, he says, we prove our love by our giving. It's a very straightforward approach that Paul uses here. Almost as straightforward as God used in Malachi uh, through the, the messenger of Malachi in the third chapter. Malachi would say, well, a man robbed God. Paul would say, in other words, do you love God or not? Do you love God's people or not? The way you give communicates clearly whether or not there is love in your heart for God and for His people. Also, not only do we rob ourselves of a love that is tremendous, loving God and loving God's people is tremendous, but also we rob ourselves of future returns. We've just mentioned that. It's in the ninth chapter in verse 6. He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. We also rob ourselves of God's love. Now notice, I'm not saying to you that God would not love someone who doesn't give. But we do know that there are things, there are qualities or characteristics about individuals that God loves those qualities. Okay? In other words, God cannot look at someone that is a drunkard and say, I love the fact that they're a drunkard. So then we say, okay, what's some of the qualities that God loves? Well, we read here, and we've already mentioned it, verse 7, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. If we do not give generously and give cheerfully, we have taken on a quality or a characteristic in our life that God doesn't love. So we rob ourselves of more of God's love. We also rob ourselves of future works. In the ninth chapter and verse 8, he tells us that he gives to us so that we will have the income to help in the future. You know, that's a pretty good test. If right now we don't have to help people in need, it may be because we didn't give in the past and now God's fulfilling His promise that He won't give to us in the future to help others in need. In other words, God gives so that we can be givers. I'll repeat that again because that is a powerful teaching from this verse. God gives so we can be givers. And if we choose to not be givers, God promises, I'll choose not to give you as much because it's a waste of His resources. Also, we see at the end, it robs us of our very purpose. Our purpose is to live so that God receives glory. Will a man rob God? Probably no one here would dream of breaking in to God's house 
if we could enter into heaven and literally walk on God's grounds and steal something from Him. Probably no one here would ever dream of saying, I think I'll break into this church building tonight and steal from this congregation. Probably you wouldn't think about harming your own possessions, stealing from yourself. But you know, in principle, God deals with a topic in a very straightforward manner, saying, when you don't give to me, you've stolen from me. Giving is a wonderful blessing that God gives us. It's a blessing to invest in the future. It's a blessing to show our love for God. It's a blessing to invest in a work that we believe is the most important cause on this earth. It's a blessing to show God how much we love Him. I want to encourage you to realize that you'll never have the life God intended for you to have until you are a generous giver. I believe there's several generous givers here. But please, if you're one that's struggling with that right now, leap out in faith and obey God. And He will provide. You know, in 2 Corinthians, the 8th chapter, those of Macedonia were in poverty, but yet they were liberal givers in the depths of their poverty. You see, generosity has nothing to do with whether or not someone's wealthy or poor. Those of Macedonia, in their poverty, gave much. We could scratch our head and wonder how in the world could those in poverty give so much? And he answers the question. He says they gave of themselves first to the Lord. Tonight, it's not about money. It's really not. It's really not. It's about whether or not we've given ourselves wholly to God. Will God be your master? No man can serve two masters. And so we have to make our choice. Tonight, if God has not been your master, but you're ready for him to be your master, as a believer willing to repent of sins, won't you come forward to be baptized into Christ for the remission of those sins? Maybe you've been baptized into Christ and somewhere along the way you've let something separate you from God. Tonight would be a wonderful opportunity. Give yourself back wholly to God. Let's make sure that there's nothing that we place before our God. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.